Let's go. You are now listening to the Poptimist Podcast, and today we have Deadsa on. Can I just get you guys to kind of introduce yourself and say what your role is in the band? Uh, my name's Steven. I'm the guitarist, vocalist, and producer. I'm Robbie. I play keyboards. I'm Ben. I play bass and keyboards. I'm Grant, and I play drums. Perfect. Well, I recently discovered you guys after Lindsay... Um, she does, she does like your guys publicity kind of stuff. She had emailed yeah, me 13. and said, I got this band that I want you to check out. Would you be interested in having them on? And I think she listened to my podcast and she kind of got an idea of what I was about and thought that you guys would be a good fit. And I started listening to you guys and I'm like, there's something kind of interesting about what you do because it marries like the electronic aspect but there's also something very classic in your songwriting and in your playing um i feel like it would be an injustice to <clears throat> compare you to tame impala even though i like them but you guys have a lot of really cool sounds like that but there's also something not necessarily that you sound metal but like there's this metal aesthetic to you guys like classic metal aesthetic yeah definitely um i think tame impala is great but i think they're uh they're kind of tame sounding, mm -hmm. you know. It's like they, they have, they have that, lots of cool sounds, but sometimes it's just you want to hear somebody belt it. It's, it's, uh, yeah, for sure. They had that kind of homemade sound, you know. They started out as like just Kevin making the songs, but we're definitely a group effort. And that was really the idea from the beginning was um, when Robbie and I started that it would be like all the electronic music we love combined with all the classic rock music we love. And that's really what we've uh, tried to achieve this whole time. I think I think you nailed it. I, I think there's also kind of like a sense of humor uh, in the music too. There's something about it where it's not tongue in cheek, I would say, but there's something that that's about you guys. It's very you and it's very original, which these days I think is a rare thing. Everybody's just trying to to copy each other, trying to do a watered down version of what we already heard. But there's something very authentic I feel that comes across in your music and in your aesthetic you know it's it's the idea of being an artist it seems like you guys are really fleshing it out and you've found who you are and I'm, I'm excited for you guys to keep discovering it because I feel like it's something that is only going to keep getting uncovered as time goes on thank you Taylor yeah <laughs> um yeah well you know there's a there's a few things to parse from your statement um but I'm uh uh, overwhelmed by your excitement for music, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's, so, it's good. It's uh, good. Thanks, man. Yeah, um, it's refreshing. I think with all the luxuries um, that people have now, when it comes to home recording and electronics and sampling and everything being so easy to use and readily available, I think sometimes, um, like you said, it just gets kind of watered down. You're sitting in your room, you have all the tools in the world to mess with, but sometimes you. Uh, it's easy for intensity to get lost in, in that, and I think that's something that we all push for. And I think Stephen's you know, singing is a big part of that. I think a lot of times when you have bands, there's a lot of bands that use rock music and synthesizers together, but um, a lot of times you end up with that 
Tame Impala kind of thing with the clean falsetto with the tone mm-hmm. play on it. Sometimes you just want to hear somebody screaming. Yeah. That's what I do want to scream. This world makes me want to scream. You know? <laughs> it's fucking crazy out there. Can yeah. I curse on this? Yeah, part? absolutely. Okay. Yes, for sure. That leads me to my next point, which is we are a bunch of shitheads and we love to just make each other laugh. So we're constantly just kind of working jokes into the songs. Yeah. And it's a thing that you do miss now. There's there's a lack of humor to a Yeah, everything's like, so fucking serious these yeah. days. I don't understand it. There's nothing lamer than wa- watching somebody on stage playing a guitar and just taking themselves completely They're just seriously. like stone-faced the whole time. Like, yeah. they're not enjoying it. Music is so fun to play, it's fun to listen to. It's like, who are you kidding? You're, you know. There's a self-consciousness to that that it takes away the fourth wall or whatever, where they're like, oh, I know you guys are eating me up. Like, yeah. So, you know, go fuck yourself. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the worst things I see about, like, indie rock as a general genres a lack of humor and the playing and the tone and lack of melody yeah you know it's it's lack of nuance in the playing it's become a lot about effects and we do try to keep it pretty straightforward when it comes to effects even though we're a psych rock band um it's like it's definitely about the playing for us and making that the central focus point like the playing the melody and all that stuff. We're we're kind of proudy in that. Well, sense, I mean, I, I think that you know, uh, <clears throat> Pink Floyd is a pretty major influence in general. But you know, at one point in time, it said that that would uh, would uh, uh, if we took all the effects away, right? If we took all of your crazy synthesizers that they had at the time, which they were one of the few bands that were really taking it and running with it like that. Um, you know, they pretty adamantly said that the well, the song's still the song. You know, if we were playing <laughs> it. Uh, if we were playing acoustic instruments, the song would still be there. You know? Sure, and yeah. I, and I think that that's, that's pretty important to us as well, is that the song remains what it should be, with or without the effects or instrumentation that we're taking on it, you know? You have to have, I think, for me, if I'm going to write or produce, or the first thing that I always, if I'm working with someone, is I say, let's, let's get the arrangement down first. That's the most, for me, the most crucial part. So if you don't have the arrangement, if you don't have the song, or if you don't have it, everything else is just going to be glossed on or glossed over. I, I always yeah. like kind of what Keith Richards had said was kind of what you were saying is you strip everything back, and if you can play it with an acoustic guitar, then maybe maybe you have something. Right. Yeah. I think there's truth to that, but I also disagree with that a little bit. I think mm, 80% of our songs I could never play on a piano. It revolves around either a certain specific sound from the synthesizer or using modulation and pitch bend. Like, I actually just had to take my synth back to the Moog factory to get fixed because I wore out the pitch wheel on it. Really? Because <laughs> yeah. we use it so extremely in every single song. Yeah. And that's, uh, sometimes I, I do send things completely from, like, I find a sound that I like and I build everything completely around that. But in general, I, I do agree that, like, you're, you're not you can have all the flashy tricks in the world and if you don't have some substance and some like song craft behind it it's not worth anything for sure sure so i got a few questions that i figured i'd i'd ask you guys um the first one i guess this is maybe something a little bit we we touched on but um why can't we all love each other? Like, we're living in such de- divisive times right now, and it's really starting to irritate the shit out of me how mean everybody is to one another. Us too. <sighs> ben? <laughs> Why can't people love each other? It's, uh, there's a lot of factors. Uh, 
I think we're it's becoming more aware everyone's becoming more aware that you can't penetrate someone's bubble very easily and like if we're all waking up in like this new world where you just are constantly being fed information and if it's stuff you like that's what you'll stick with if it's stuff you don't like you know you can just dismiss it and so it's like that's how people just treat each other now it's like oh you I don't like what you said here I don't have to listen to you I don't have to care about you anymore or it's too uh it's very antagonistic. It's very, yeah. Things are just getting polarized mostly, really, just because of human psychology. It's like, we've always been this way. Um, I feel like classifications back. of people evolve faster these days, too. Everyone is this or that, and you can just generalize what someone is and then put them in that box. Exactly. And they are that, and I hate them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's right. completely, you know, backwards. And most people have a, a, through social media, you have a, a written record of all of, you know, if you're Your the belief person, system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not inclined to like, put my beliefs out there like that just precisely because of that. And I think you're maybe less likely to admit where you're wrong somewhere if you if you can scroll down your Facebook and look a week ago, you were just so adamant about something. Sure. You're like, oh, I didn't think about that. You're not, you know, it's a, it's a pride thing and people aren't. We're not made for this technology. Like it's like yeah. we haven't fully caught up to it yet. It's it takes like fifty thousand years for evolutionary traits to spread widely across the species. So the things that we're built for right now are solving caveman problems. We're not built <laughs> to live in this close proximity. We're not built to have a barrage of information blasted at us. All it's overwhelming yeah. to the psyche. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a good answer for that. Maybe we can't. <laughs> well, are there ways that you guys have found yourself combating this in the day-to-day? Like, do you do meditation? Do you try and work out? Do you try and, when you're creating something, do you completely shut everything off and say, okay, I'm, I'm going off into the dungeon and I'm just going to create? I see my lyrics as a reflection a lot of what irks me about modernity, you know? So, and I'll go ride my bike and think about it. I ride almost everywhere. It is like my meditation. Yeah. I can't sit still, really, so I have to be moving. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I get in my own space where I'm like, okay, you know what? People aren't that different. We should be nicer to each other. We all bleed the same blood. Yeah. This past record, a lot of the stuff was about my personal relationships, which is more normal. Um, our last, our first EP was dealing more with like, um, really to my mind, America's role in the world. That's like kind of never been talked about, but like a song about like Scintillator, the last song on our EP was about TSA basically. And it's like, they're waving this wand. It has like a, a metal detector wand Mm -hmm. has a scintillator inside, which is some sort of glowing quartz. And I was thinking about how... That's so bizarre. You know, like cyclical (laughs) history, we think about, like, back in the old days, they used to use dowsing rods and all these things to try to divine what was going on. Who are the bad people? Who are the good people? Who can we trust? And we're still kind of doing the same thing, but with updated technology, like, oh, I'm going to wave this around you, and then it makes you cleared to go. It's like a... 
I, I try to look yeah, at that's the, very interesting yeah, yeah I've never really thought of it that you way know, it's like it screens you yeah to make sure this is an okay human being he's <laughs> safe for society yeah, yeah. she's safe for society so a lot of my inspirations are about the symbolic nature of everyday acts that we don't think about like interesting so Sinlander is like you know we're using these glowing crystals to do like this public um, you know ceremony that says these people are clear they are good and we know that there's an underlying bias we know that like they're gonna pull aside certain people sure right yeah because there's the bias there and that's what really drives us like is this sick underlying bias (laughs) yeah we're living in, in very bizarre times it's just like when well, the first thing is why I was asking about people loving each other is for me personally, I feel like I've been just so inundated with everyone being so against each other. It's, it's this constant game of he shit, he said, she said, um, and it's all just turning really weird now. I feel like I'm, I'm not always able to handle it. it. It's like this toxic thing to my spirit sometimes where I just feel like there's certain points in the day like it. If I'm gonna do something like with the podcast, or I have to sit down to do something, then I have to turn turn my phone on airplane mode, and it's like the rest of the world has to go away, and I just have to create. Yeah. I try to leave my phone off of me, is whenever I think about it at home. You know, I I think everybody falls into the same traps of like you just. It's have, so easy to. You know, you're microwaving something for two minutes. Well, let's see what's good. <laughs> yeah, what's going on in the world? Yeah. What's going on with my friends? And I was so caught up in leading up to the election. I was following everything, listening to the news on the radio. Every the summer day. of rage. And basically, yeah, as soon as I was able to tell what direction it was turning and it became clear what was going to happen, you know, I, I do try to tune in every week and catch up with what's going on, but it's just, it's good to stay informed, but there's so much baggage that comes with it that is not information, that it is no, just this it's unhealthy. hideous dialogue. And I, you have to remove yourself from it if you want to get anything done. I think just keeping your heads down and like trying to make something cool is the best thing anybody can do. Like you, with the, with the podcast, trying to bring people together through that. And I don't think any of us really have this um, mentality when it comes to our shows of like, oh, you know, we're all you know one love, we're all humans. <laughs> but I think at its core, that's what, still what it is, though. You sure. get a bunch of people in a room, and it's. You know, something we've done since we were banging on rocks and logs and stuff. You all get in. Music unites. You know, focus on the same thing. And live music is something that is one of the few things these days that just can't be replicated digitally. Or You know, people watch blockbuster movies on their phone. It makes me sick. But you can't, you know, I love to watch live performances on YouTube and stuff, but you'll never be able to capture that same feeling as being in a room when you can feel sound waves in your bones and not yet anyways yeah it's coming yeah yeah, we'll ride that wave when it comes yeah Yeah, hopefully not in our lifetime i hope to be dead by then yeah me too (laughs) i always say music is magic and it's like our privilege to be able to use it and um you know effectively like if you're good at it, you'll you'll bring people together, um, and I, there is something really special about live sound. I, I watch these like videos with this guy Dave Rat. He's the engineer for uh, Chili, Peppers. Chili Peppers, and a freaking genius. Probably one of the greatest uh, 
live sound engineers of our time because he, he just does these videos on YouTube where he talks about things. Um, he basically got into engineering just because he wanted to build speakers and solve problems. And he's gone as far to figure out like that we're so used to stereo sound and especially at live shows, everything comes through two speakers. And this was like mind blowing to me and he has this demonstration where you had the same thing come through both speakers. If this is getting too technical, kind of. No, no. <laughs> but uh, you have all these phase problems, and he's moving these speakers, these little speakers around, showing through space in front of him, showing all these phase problems you can have. And he's like, the way I get around this is just taking two sources. So he'll take like two kick drums, two snare drums, multiple mics on everything, and pan them all hard. So even though it's like technically the same sound. Like a Ramones record? Yeah. Like panned hard left. Well, he still wants to kick. hard right. He still wants to kick in both speakers and both subs. He does stereo subs. But he'll put one kick mic through the right side, one kick mic through the left, and having like discrete sources, you never have phase problems. And he's like, the point is that in nature, you never have the same sound coming from two sources at once. Never does this happen, except for in live sound. We right. do it all the time. Interesting. And it causes problems, and it sounds unnatural. And he's like, and that's one of the things you can always tell when a live band is playing somewhere. You know it's not recording music. Like, even a mile away, you know, that's a live band playing on the street. And is it, is it because of the way that you're hearing, like, the sound waves naturally? Or are you talking about if they're just acoustic and unplugged? Or Well, that's a bit of a mystery, you know, for, for everyone to contemplate. Why does a live band sound more dynamic and and live and uh wizardry <laughs> you know it has to do with that we're not forcing everything through a console or a computer into just two speakers it's coming from multiple points <clears throat> the drums are an acoustic instrument um and just everything about that makes it a more dynamic experience and that is why you know one of the things that always attracts me to music is like the novelty of music like it never is the same always different i went on a bit of a rant there so no rants are good <laughs> that, those are times when i don't have to talk <laughs> but so. watch if you're interested in uh engineering concepts watch dave rat's videos on youtube he's a genius a lot of interesting stuff so it sounds like you definitely have like a lot of you're very interested in the sonics of music equally maybe as the actual playing of music. Yeah, so for sure. when did you notice for you that that really first started? Was that something right from the beginning or was that something that became married later on? When I was a kid, I used to, like, we would be at a concert with my parents or something and I would pick out, like, I wanted to show off to them. I was a real know-it-all kid. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, that's a bassoon, that's a this, that's a timpani. And they're like, wow, how can you pick all that out? Because my parents aren't musical. I was like, I don't know, I just hear it. You know, so I wanted to, like, pick it apart. I remember as a kid, like, pretending I was a rock star in my head, like, rolling around the floor, doing all the 80s, like, <laughs> hair metal moves and stuff. But as far as the... I guess when I was, like, 13, I got my first recorder. It was, like, a Tascam. Yeah. Eight-track with two inputs. And I had a Behringer mixer with all these effects. 
And I would do everything from, I was in a band that was recording songs, with, even before that, before I got my recorder, we were recording the cassette four track, mm -hmm. little task cam. And I just was fascinated by that, like recording. Overdubbing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Really, rec any recording media I've been fascinated with, taking pictures. I used to steal my dad's camcorder all the time and just shoot anything. I didn't have any idea about editing that stuff there, but music was the first one that I was like, okay, I can mess with this, I can make it what I want, I can edit it, and I would make abstract sound pieces with just tons of effects or songs, and we would make joke songs. Grant and I have been friends since we were about 13. Mm -hmm. Did you guys grow up in Nashville? Uh, Birmingham. Birmingham, Birmingham Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we would hang out every day after school and occasionally make... Either us two or our friends, uh, you know, Michael and Ryan, mm -hmm. we would all hang out and just make these really dumb songs, like a sea chanty. And to listen that that one. one's very yeah. That's, <laughs> that one was catchy. <laughs> a sea chanty, yeah. like a pirate song. Yeah. it was kind of Primus inspired. I think I played it. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. play anything like that back right. then. But uh, there's one entitled "Scary Water." Scary Water. <laughs> yeah, that was good. One. Steam threatening. Uh, yeah. Maybe uh, maybe on your B-Sides collection on the, on the box set. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have recordings that we just yeah. joke around with that we'll just release all at once. Maybe. Ben, and, ben and Robbie actually did a lot of the same stuff. They were yeah. friends since high school. Since we were 15. And we did, yeah, we had a good friend that we had a band with and um, we recorded a bunch of goof songs, you know, none of us mm -hmm. had been like heartbroken or anything yet, so we had, we just had you know, silly novelty songs. Yeah. But hey, we won our uh, our junior battle of the bands. So we did. <laughs> Was it with an original song or a cover song? Oh yeah, yeah, Gronk and Friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was about, that was about about a sad monster who wants to be friends with the kid who is bad. He lives on <laughs> and a snail who gets salted to death by his family. <laughs> this yeah. is all starting to make sense how you guys came together now. But it was just we were just excited. Um, I think we all. Decided we discovered Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd oh, yeah. at the same time. It's like, what? You can, what? That's you possible? Just, yeah. Just, you know, woke something up inside of us, I think. And it was just so thrilling to realize you could get an instrument and make sounds and record them. Just hearing yourself on record for the first time is it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's a weird experience. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think if, if you like hear your voice, because I have to, I have to listen back to all the podcasts, to edit them down, and stuff like that. Yeah. So terrible. it's it's strange. Yeah, it's so strange. It's like oh. you really go through this dark night of the soul where you have to like. I need to outsource it. I need to outsource it. I just need to give it to someone else. Be, be like, please. I like I your wanna, I like your voice. I don't want to listen, listen to your podcast. Yeah. And, uh, I think you got a good uh, you got a good podcast voice. It's unique. Yes. Thank so you. everyone knows when it comes back to you. Yeah. Um. Where was I going next? I don't know. Just talking about making strange recordings and, and the... Um... Yeah, I mean, we did all sorts of stuff back then. Grant and I made a cartoon. We didn't know how to actually make it, like, <laughs> skip through the scenes. So we were just... We recorded this audio 
then we made a bunch of frames for it, and we would sit there and hit the next button on the computer <laughs> to go through the scenes, and it would crack us up. Like, yeah. it's so dumb. <laughs> but we had the best time watching this over and over and over again. Do you guys still have access to any of this old stuff? Is it? I have some somewhere? of those songs. Yeah, I have some of those songs on oh, my computer. Do? That's awesome. Wow. I have Sea Chanty and a few of them. Great. Some of the ones we just recorded on our iPhone or yeah. iPod back then. Yeah. Is it like the uh, GSRB? GSRB yeah. series. Yeah. <laughs> well, then Grant and I were in a more serious band in high school. I was I played drums and Grant played drums. Um, and we took drum lessons from the same guys. And there was a guy in town who taught drum kit lessons. And so there was actually reverse of everywhere else in the world. There was more drummers. Yeah. Than anyone else in this community. Really? And weird. Yeah. yeah, that is bizarre. Um, because of Russ Maddox, great guy. Um, right. Like a second father. Yeah. Great, great guy. Um, so we were all sort of in the same bands, and some of the guys, they would just go through drummers. They would just cycle through drummers. I was in like three or four bands because they would just go to the next guy. And finally, I got sick of that. I was like, I'm going to learn how to sing and play guitar, and I'm going to play with Grant. And, you know, my other friend, Michael and Spencer. And so we formed this band, the Markov Chain, that was pretty successful. We won our battle of bands. We did. Uh, if we're... So Dead says a band of champions. <laughs> Gladiators. Yeah. You crushed everybody else in your path to get here. Um, we were chosen. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> By the rock and roll gods. That may have something to do with sense of humor, though. Like we, had, you know, we played. Um, <laughs> this is really a significant accomplishment, but I think it do, it does parallel what you're talking about before. Like uh, we were kind of intimidated by all the bands in our high school battle of the bands, and they were all technically proficient and they were very serious. But I think like it's easy to laugh at that. I think we got up and we just sang these ridiculous songs and yeah. we were just having fun. I think people just enjoyed like, it. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they they responded. No, the, yeah. yeah. 17 year old kid posing like he's <laughs> Eddie Van Halen up there. Yeah. Yeah. Super serious. I can't stand that shit. It's just like here, there are so many talented musicians and there are so many great bands, but sometimes when I go out, there's like four or five bands on a bill and I fucking hate all of them. <laughs> It's just like, it's the same thing over and over again. There's no melody. It's just, there's a dude with like 30 pedals and he's just pressing them over and that's like his whole guitar playing style is his yeah. pedals. And you can't yeah. tell the difference. Or you can't, no. He's just <laughs> playing, you're just playing it. very e. focused. Yeah. Looking uh, like it's a really big deal. You know, but I, it's just mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to be, you know, on the pedal uh, train like most other guitarists, modern guitarists, there's so many out there and you always want this sound or that sound. Maybe sure, yeah. If I had this, then I would be able to play what I want. And I Gear just saw list. this as like, um, you know, like really, I, and I don't want to demean any of the great pedal makers out there because it's fascinating stuff and they deserve to be making it. These people buy all the stuff. Obviously, it's it's worth something, but to me, I kind of realized it was just a sort of like consumerist, like never-ending avalanche yeah. of like I need to save up two hundred bucks or to go get this pedal, to yeah, get this pedal or to, this to finish my yeah. idea. <laughs> so I still wanted to use effects. I really I bought a Boss GT one hundred and never looked back. Like it's because I wanted it to be more about the playing 
I wanted to have a chorus or a delay or this or that. Yeah. And the effects are like super advanced these days. You get racks worth of 80s, like great level effects in a floorboard. And I. That's like a big guitar player joke when you see somebody with something like that. Like, oh, nice uh, all in one effects box. I do, yeah. I do have in the back of my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I agree with that, yeah. But coming from the world of sense, like exploring sense for a while as a guitarist, I was like, well, it's kind of the same as a synth. You buy a synth, you take what the sounds you get out of that synth, mm-hmm. you can program it any which way. And that's just as creative. And I think in a lot of ways, like, you can get more creative with it because it's a unified system. Yeah, minimalism. Yeah. And I can route things any way I want and recall them at the touch of a button. It's my next patch, you know? And that really freed me up to think more about what I consider important and and what makes a dead's a song. You can worry about the performance more. Um, But I don't ever feel limited, really. The only thing I wish it had... And I, I don't know if anyone from Boss will hear this podcast. But if they Fingers do, crossed. Because you can't, you can't just email Boss. I tried. Um, they need reverse reverb. This is one of my favorite mm-hmm. effects, and that's the only pedal I have to throw on my board. Reverse reverb. What is the difference between reverb and reverse reverb? So reverse reverb is not quite what it sounds like, because obviously you can't... Like in recording, reverse reverb is this effect, and apparently Jimmy Page came up with it. So it claims where you take a reverb tail and you reverse the tape where it goes up to the... Like, I think famously it's on that uh, Def Leppard snare drum sound. It's like... Oh, oh yeah, okay. Um, but reverse reverb in a pedal, like, effect format um, is something that was used a lot on, like, My Bloody Valentine guitar. It's, it's like, heavily identified with shoegaze music, so it's like, you hit the string, and it's like, boom, and then it does that reverse. Mm. It, it's really weird, but once you get like a big chord going, and a lot of distortion in front of it, it has and, like a wall of sound effect to it. Yeah, and I use a lot of whammy and almost everything, and you can kind of just bend the pitch to create uh, this, you know, I used to make it try to sound like, like, uh, like a dinosaur falling through a black hole. That's that was what I was wanting to that's, achieve. That's metal. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we used it a bit on the first record. I, there's not any on this last record, but I do want to do it again on the next record to have kind of a shoegazy yeah, thing, bringing back the T-Rex noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, reverse reverb is the only effect that I wish that. Uh, boss had that it doesn't have. Boss, if you're listening, I think uh, you could come up with this pedal. Yeah. There are going to be some royalties due. <laughs> also to the podcast, uh, this is a free advertisement, so you'll owe some royalties. I'll be forever too. grateful yeah. Yeah. if you could include that in a firmware update. Yeah. So, with technology, how do you guys strike a balance with making it with your music? Like, when do you when when where's the line? Where do you say, okay, we're just completely jerking ourselves off with all of these instruments and all of these sounds, we have to take a step back. I don't know if that's been a problem yet. I, I try to keep myself pretty limited. I have, uh, I've always just used two keyboards. I have a Moog synthesizer and a Nord Electro. And, you know, sometimes you get tempted, like, oh, I could get a couple more synthesizers. There's all sorts of stuff that other keyboards can do that I can't do. But I think it's good. Um, 
in a way to limit yourself a little bit just because it forces you to play more creatively. I think I have more than what I need as it is. And, uh, you know, I, I look, r rather than thinking like, oh, well, what keyboard do I need to make this happen? I, um, I like to layer the two keyboards together and kind of play them mm, back and forth against each other. I just, yeah, I don't know if we've really run into that yet. Yeah, we, we're very open to doing a lot of things. We incorporated a lot, a lot of sampling, which Grant ends up handling most of the sampling, and uh, uh, we'll put that out on his drum pad to play live. Um, you know, but we haven't thought, I don't think we've ever thought once, like, Mm, that's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I don't know, I guess we are self-editing enough from the front to know that... Or maybe we're just hedonistic, you know? <laughs> we, yeah. we know we, <laughs> you embrace it. We know where we don't want to venture into. I don't think we want laptops on stage. Yeah, like, we're not going to get laptops, and uh, yeah. we know what kind of music we're going to avoid. But apart from that, we're kind of open to anything, and we like to... Like, Steven will write songs, um, like on the new record, uh, Salmon Velocity. Uh, what Did I Ever Do To You kind of came across as a pretty straightforward garage, you know, number. But, you know, Robbie and we all just try to fuck with it, you know? Like, how do you make this kind of surprising? It's not what you expect. And, uh, I don't know, so we're pretty certain we're not going to do something that we're going to regret later on because yeah i think um days. if anything i i kind of tend to come up with something <clears throat> that's almost a little too normal and then i hand it over to them because i know that they'll make it like weird weird enough to be us <laughs> um not that i'm not crazy or weird but like it's just different songwriting sensibilities yeah, and I think Ben and I kind of come from the opposite way. Like, we'll make something that's maybe a little too out there, but it's just based around the sound or an idea that we really like, but we don't know what to do, <laughs> make it, you know, readily appealing to a normal person. Mm -hmm. And then Stephen and Grant are great at taking that and structuring it and turning it into a palatable uh, music item. Sure, <laughs> so it's kind, of, it's kind of like... You guys play the roles of each other's editors in a way that it's kind of balanced out. Right. You have two who kind of I can approach work. it one way and two who approach it the other way, so you pass it off to each other, and that's where I think a band really finds its sound. Yeah. That's where I, I think that's another thing that's missing these days is, you know, what, what I love about Led Zeppelin is you hear John Bonham and Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, you hear musicians coming together and collaborating and which can be hard sometimes. But you hear it in equal parts. You hear it in equal parts, and that's exactly. that's what's really exciting about... I mean, we all own the same Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd live DVDs. We each have a copy. <laughs> so to say that they're like influences is an understatement. But those bands, I think they truly do represent like um, a group of people working together really equally, self-producing each other, and coming up with something really unique that that showcases all their individual personalities. And yeah, you do lose that. And like, we know we know that this band is like basically this guy, and he goes and sure, yeah. makes all this stuff, and then he hires a band 
to come and play that yeah. stuff. And it might sound a little different, but it's basically going to sound like the record. Yeah. With us, I don't know. You know, that's what's exciting to us is that it's there are personalities yeah. that, that come out. Ultimately, four heads are better than one. I mean, in any which way you want to look at it, you know. Like, you take that with anything. Like, not even just, like, a creative endeavor. Like, a you know, oftentimes... You know, businesses or apps or whatever. Like it takes a team. Most of the time, it does. Yeah. You know, it might take that one guy that came up with the initial idea, but if you know, I don't know, Facebook, right? Mark Zuckerberg did every single aspect of Facebook by himself. Would he it says. be? <laughs> would it be what it is now? Right? Yeah. Would it be like a, an absolute staple for every single smartphone. Yeah. You know? um, probably not. No, I I think. You have to collaborate, and you yeah. do have to kind of come together. One thing that I saw, I was actually watching recently and, and kind of listening to this band more, it was the Eagles. I used to kind of hate them, because mm-hmm. the it was my my dad's music, you know, yeah. and I always listen to them on road trips and it's stuff Always like on that. the radio. Yeah, and it's always on the radio. It's everywhere. Yeah. But I got this new perspective of them when I watched the documentary that's about them on Netflix. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen it? Seeing yeah. them in the studio is pretty cool. It is. It's interesting because they're smart dudes. They're very smart, and yeah. each one of them had their their kind of their role. Right. Um, and it's just like uh, I was listening to Don Felder talk about the writing of Hotel California because mm-hmm. I feel like they kind of glossed over him a little bit in the documentary because he got fired from the band. Oh yeah. But um, the one thing that was interesting is he wrote all the music for Hotel California, and then he he brought it to Glenn and and Don and had them, they came up with the melodies and the lyrics and all that. But I just thought that was kind of interesting how such a classic song you always, I always thought of it as, you know, Glenn Fry and Don Henley were the Eagles, but I was wrong about that. Like yeah. it really took everybody who came through that band, like whether it was that the first guitarist, Bernie, who was first with them and then he eventually left or, or Don Felder, or Joe Walsh, they were, they were all such crucial members. They weren't, you know, the guys in the band, because that's not yeah. how they chose to run things, but they had lieutenants and everybody had their job. Yeah. Until they didn't. I think there's just a, <laughs> a, a chemistry thing. I mean, we were, we were actually just talking about the subject not that long ago. Like, I think I've been listening to Beck and I was saying how much I love him, but the one thing, and it's not necessarily missing from his music, but the one thing I miss about artists like that in general is the fact that you're you don't have this unquantifiable thing of, of the chemistry of, of people. Like, you start to feel like you know when you really love a band. Like, you know each member. It's a you game. Know their, you know their idiosyncrasies as a player, and you see how they develop over time and how they interact with each other. And I think, you know, you could put another person in any one of our places in the band and play the part exactly the same, but it just wouldn't feel the same. You know, and I, there's no way to describe that, but it's just something that happens when you come together, and that's why music is cool because you can't explain stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird and strange and exciting and magical. Um, the, but like you were saying, it, it is kind of like magic. It just oh, yeah. the, there's so, something to, to be said. It's like ingredients, you know, in a, in a meal. It's like a stew. Like just you have to you have to get it up to a certain temp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A, a certain temperature for it to 
to uh, boil enough to where all these flavors start coming and out. It, it is part art, part science, you know, as the old cliche goes. Like, yeah. it's a little bit of both, and how can we quantify it? That's why it's the mystery we always love to explore, is like, just when we get in a room and practice, you can tell, like, all of our spirits are lifted, you know? It's like church for me. Yeah. I, I, uh, I wouldn't live without music. I would literally drive off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I couldn't, if somehow I couldn't play music or listen to music anymore, I didn't, and I'm not even a suicidal guy. <laughs> I don't have those kinds of thoughts. You know, I like living, but music is, is really it's life. my life force. Yeah. yeah. And it's what's always going on in my head is like, and I feel bad for some, you know, sometimes in my life I just drift off. And by sometimes I mean all day, every day, I'm in my own head thinking about music. Just because that's what just rolls through there. Mm-hmm. So do you guys still work day jobs or are you, are you doing music full time now? Well, we're, we're staying we're doing day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know for me that it can be completely soul killing depending on what you're doing. Like when I'm, when I'm always at work, I guess I can kind of relate to you in that way is like, I'm thinking about music. I'm fucking yeah. thinking about music and how I don't want to be here and how I just want to be playing. I want to be recording or I want to be playing live or I want to be doing a podcast and talking about music. So how do you guys, I guess, in your day-to-day lives deal with still having to balance art and commerce? It's like you're trying to, trying to still feed yourselves but at the same time, there's something else that's kind of propelling you forward. Yeah, I, I look at it like people in our generation work so hard just to scrape by. And, you know, we're no different that to pay for what we want to do, we have to go out and hustle yep. every way we can. And um, I, I look at it in a way that it's still informing what I do, having a struggle of like making oh, money yeah. to live. Oh yeah. Maybe makes me uh, slightly more authentic as a songwriter in a sense. I would love to not have to worry about that. <laughs> I know. But That's nonetheless the there's always a struggle, right? Yeah. I mean there's always something you have to overcome. So I I feel like we all have struck a pretty decent work life balance and we're fairly frugal at, at different levels in order to make our passions are our priority. Yeah. And I have a job that enables me to, I don't have to deal with customers, so I am... Oh, you're lucky. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I used to wait tables and I couldn't stand it anymore. So, yeah. Um, I take care of dogs during the day, as does Ben, we work together. Um, and it, I think, you know, I listen to podcasts, I listen to Mark Maron during the day. Yeah, Mark Maron's great. Yeah, you look, great. hear all these great, yeah. inspiring stories. So that, that's uh, that's good. Obviously, these guys like wait tables and they can't do that, and that's sucks. But I, I spend a lot of time um, trying to think about what I'm going to do when I get home, and rather than just lamenting that I can't, I think because it's so easy when you get home, you just want to crash, and uh, and then the night can easily be lost. But I think okay, when I go home what the next few things I want to accomplish and then I just try to psych myself up, plan it out, visualize what I need to get done for the next project and then when I come home I feel pretty amped up to do it rather than just like, oh, a man, sense of urgency. Yeah. Um, so that's how I deal with it anyway. Well I think one thing that I can definitely tell about you is that 
you all kind of have a work ethic. Was there someone that instilled that in each of you when you were young, or was it something you had to discover once you became, you know, air quotes, an adult? Uh, my dad definitely uh, was always trying to light the fire under my butt in high school and <laughs> did not take uh, until I was about 22, probably. Stephen and I had been living together for uh, at least a couple of years at that yeah. point. And had been trying, like, yeah, we know what we want to do, basically, with this band idea. We didn't have a name, we didn't have any songs, but we knew we were going to have guitars and synthesizers. And we'd get together and jam occasionally and try yeah, to yeah. just make sense of it, like, but we weren't. Like, this is really going to be really sky. cool one day. And basically, <laughs> I just woke up one day and I was like, shit. Nobody, uh, nobody's, it's almost like you, you're waiting for somebody to come along and kick things in motion. And it was just, hit me like a ton that of That person never comes. Yeah, it, it was no. just, it was not a gradual thing at all. It's like everything my dad had ever said to me over a lifetime. Like, oh my God, I've got to <laughs> start, right. yeah. start yeah. moving. Yeah. <laughs> I am I, the only person who can uh, get things working in my life. <laughs> I better get going. What about for, for you guys? You kind of mentioned uh, that you had a, a drum instructor. Was that someone who <laughs> impacted you? Yeah. No, I remember, um, I've been taking drums since I was like uh, eight, nine maybe, something around there, whatever. And then, you know, by the time you get to like late middle school or like, high school or whatever, you start, you know, figuring out that uh, girls exist and, you know, and distractions. It's, it's really fun to, you know, sneak some beers from the kitchen, that kind of a situation, right? And then uh, it went from, like, my idea of fun being to go home and practice, you know, these, these lessons that he prescribed us per week or whatever, to, like, trying to break rules or, you know, talk to this girl or whatever. And I'd get there the next week, and like, you didn't work on this at all, did you? No, yeah, no, I definitely, you know, I sat down. That shame, right? <laughs> you felt it set in. No, you didn't. You know, and I was like, no, I really did like, look, Grant, you can't get away with this. Like, you, I, I can tell that you did not work on this, you know. So, you know, own up for that fact that you did, and if you want to keep doing this, then you're going to have to practice it. Otherwise, That shit is so valuable as a musician wasting, to have someone. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, you're wasting your parents' money, and I, really, my mom's money. And, you know, that, that hit me pretty hard when I was younger, but also my parents, too. My, my mom's a, a nurse anesthetist. Um, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young, and she, a 60-hour work week was normal, you know? And all kinds of crazy hours. Yeah, all kinds of crazy hours. You know, she'd do, like, a, like literally 24-hour shifts over a course of a weekend once a month. Every, like one out of every four weekends she was doing that you know? that shit's brutal yeah you know and like my my, my grandmother my great uncle my two older cousins my neighbor's parents would often pick us up from school or after you know school care or whatever and take us home and make sure that we eat some food you know and everybody because she was at work you know and she's busting her ass to make sure that we could eat. And then as I got older, I really kind of understood what that meant and really gained a, a real appreciation for it. And so in that sense, like, if, if you want something, work your ass off for it. You know what I mean? Like, if you need money, go make more money than you might need because some shit's going to happen and you're going to need it. You know what I mean? So for me to have an 80-hour work week with music and a day job and a little side gig, you know, some little hustle, like Steve and I have got this live sound thing that we do sometimes for some extra money here and there. That's a, that's a no-brainer to me, you know? 
you just do it because you have to, you know. We're also all pretty restless. That's true. As like a <laughs> personality trait. So we have to be up to something. And I, I did like, yeah, in my early 20s, I had a few hobbies. I still have cycling as a pretty major hobby, but I, I've kind of toned down on the whole. I used to build bikes up from scratch and stuff. But it's like, I don't know. Robbie actually inspired me a lot because um, he works harder than anyone I know I've ever seen. Like, oh, yeah. eight-hour work days every day on the animated music videos he's done for a year. And I don't know anyone that can match that. And my my role in the band is is a little more, I don't know. I mean, Robbie definitely writes songs, Ben writes songs. I feel more, I, I guess my personality is a little more mercurial. I don't know. Like, I just have to wait for things to hit me, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, this, and I can... I'm a little more up and down, ADHD. I don't know. Once we get going with an idea, though, and we're trying to, fin you know, when we're trying to finish the last record, I think, um, you know, we all have fun doing it. But I think you just—it's really just as simple as setting goals and setting a time to get together and work on stuff. It's yeah. so easy to be like, "Oh, this is gonna be so great! Yeah, we'll get together soon sometime this week." Like, no, at eight o'clock, we'll have our coffee made, our butts in the chairs in front of the computer. Yes. And let's get it done. Well, we can work to like 11. Um, let's finish tracking on the song or let's, it's, it's really not, it, it seems difficult, but as soon as you take those steps to do it, it's, it's not that hard. It's, it's like another work. form of work. Yeah. And when I get out of it, I get so lazy and so depressed and I can, I just, you know, I finished the last video months ago and I've spent the months since then basically just just dragging my ass just until I can get another idea to get some traction and really the hardest thing is just opening up the sketchbook or turning the computer on and <laughs> getting your instrument out and just taking that first step and doing it. once you get into it you can't stop usually yeah but, uh, you have to you have to allow the muse to come to you She's not just, if you're just like sitting at the couch, like watching Netflix and doing nothing, then she, I, I always feel like she, she won't come. So you have to almost you do have open, to open a window and put the, and allow, yeah. <laughs> and allow the lightning to strike yeah, right. by, yeah, take, by taking that first step, that action. That can be too hard on myself. And I think it's important to, to realize when you're crossing that line. Like if, if you're sitting down and working and trying to make something happen, it just isn't. I think you need to be able to let yourself think, oh, well, it's okay, you know, maybe I will just go relax now. But you can't just, like, relax first and wait for it to come yeah. to you. Yeah. You have to at least, like, give That's it, the musician give method. It at least, yeah. <laughs> you know, relax just, first, work later. Give yeah. it at least 30 minutes, and if yeah. you just hate yourself by the end of that and nothing is coming, then... Yeah. Take a step back. Yeah. Because relaxation is, is healthy too. And yeah, you, you need to be inspired by other people's output. But um, yeah, you just gotta treat it a little bit like work anyway. Yeah. So you also do the like the the videos for you guys. Yeah. So how did you get started in doing stuff like that? Um. Well, I've always drawn uh, my whole life, and I've always been interested in movie making and stuff. 
that was one of the first things Ben and I did, maybe the first time we ever even hung out. He had written this crazy short story that he shared with me in our the, one of the first classes we had together. And um, I just was inspired by it, and I went and got some modeling clay and made little characters from his story, and he came to my house, and we tried to... We didn't have the... Uh, proper equipment, but we tried to make a stop-motion movie, and I'd done that before with Legos and stuff. Um, it just it hit me a few years ago uh, from watching Monty Python and listening to an interview with Terry Gilliam, watching how he did the cartoons for that, that I realized that, um, you know, that could bring the two together. You can use illustrated cutouts and and film them and make a make a whole video out of it. It's like, well, I know how to draw, but I don't really, you know, I don't know set building or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd love to do three-dimensional stop motion, but that's much more expensive and you need to, a lot more space. I can do everything with, a, you know, just a sheet of paper and some glass and a camera. Um, and your mind. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I, I was watching this video with Terry Gilliam, with my girlfriend, we just kind of looked at each other like, oh my god, we could do this. This would cost nothing. You should try it. And uh, it just seemed a, a really perfect way to get ideas out. Well, kind of what the, the videos remind me of is there's this uh, cartoon movie that got released in 1981 called Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of reminded me of. A lot of people say that. Yeah, it has. I've actually a, never seen it. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised by that. I was I, expecting I you to be like, "That's my favorite and movie." I was like, "Really? This yeah." Uh, I don't know what people are talking about. <laughs> yeah. That's what it kind I'll, of. I'll watch it one day. Yeah, that's, it, that's just Rabbit World. You're in Rabbit World. <laughs> I, you know, I don't really want to speak on your behalf, but you've always been interested in monsters and, like, I mean, if you want to talk about yeah, yeah, Ray and all that. I grew up watching. Um, Godzilla movies and King Kong mm-hmm. and loving cartoons and uh, I think I've just always been fascinated with kind of strange stuff like that. I grew up reading uh, Murray Sendak and Michael Haig books, which are full of all kinds of yeah. crazy monsters and things. And um, I don't know. I just think there's a lot you can express with that kind of stuff without having to be too literal. You can evoke a lot of by like creating a new type of creature or something. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things you can evoke without being too explicit about anything. I think it's something that, uh, that's like one of the first things people have ever done. You know, once people got bison and horses down, they were mashing up different types of animals and people and creating uh, crazy gods and mm-hmm. I think taking mushrooms. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's just something that's, uh, uh, kind of inherently a, a part of our imaginations, and it's fun to explore that. And uh, you know, I love classic album artwork from the '70s and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's very, kind of very art. cool. It has like such a, there's such a, it's a distinct vibe. I think that's what's kind of cool about it. Is that's one of the things I noticed when I, I was watching, watching the videos. It was just like. It does, it's super psychedelic and, and so strange and so weird, but in, in kind of a beautiful way. And, and it did, I, when, I, when I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, this, this reminds me of mushrooms <laughs> or DMT or something, something like I'll that, where, it. it's, where it's just taking you to this other, other place. Cool. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important for it to be um, 
aesthetically nice to look at. I, I like really grotesque stuff. I, I was really inspired by the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch. Um, I don't know if, if I know that just you, by You know his paintings for sure. Look, okay. Look him up. Uh, he did a lot of paintings of hell and... Uh, oh, I can't remember what century he lived in. He was a Dutch draftsman and painter from like the 1500s. 1500s. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter Bruegel the Elder who, who did a lot of paintings depicting just filthy everyday peasant life. I, I, I love all that kind of stuff and ate it up. Um, but one of my favorite directors is Guillermo del Toro, and I've always appreciated how he's cool. he has these terrifying monsters in his movies, but you can't take your eyes, they're beautiful, they're, yeah. not, they're not disgusting, they're scary, but they're, they look like they come from nature, they're fantastic, but they seem rooted in some kind of reality, and they're works of art, they're like sculptures, and it's, uh, I don't know why that is, but the, the, it's like my favorite kind of stuff. Have you guys ever seen the TV show that's on Adult Swim called Hell? No. No, never Okay. So when I saw this, I was like, how did I not see this? But basically it's about, it's, it's a live action and it's about hell being a corporation. So it's, it's, it's like this business and there's the, the, the boss is Satan and he's an asshole. He's just like a stereotypical, like it's like this total corporate vibe. They're all wearing these, these uniforms and they're all painted up in red and they have horns on and shit. But you have to watch it because I feel like that you would, you would fucking love it, yeah. and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's so dark. Awesome. But as soon as I I, um, I started watching them, I was just like, "This is so weird. How did I not know about this?" It's just Paul like, Adult Swim cool. for, you know, I almost am kind of mad at them for breaking open the like. I think they kind of brought that kind of really strange postmodern stuff into the mainstream <laughs> because so many people have copied like what uh tim and eric, tim and eric were doing yeah, 10, I mean, in, um, 10 plus years ago commercials now you know yeah yeah and they definitely all the commercials you see everything. are out there it's, it's everybody who there. grew up watching that stuff is now mm-hmm. making that stuff yeah. yeah because they were so inspired by it <laughs> yeah you yeah. know um and i mean we used to watch all the classic stuff like death Death Clock. Metal Aquilips. Metal Aquilips. One of my favorite shows still. I love that show. <laughs> I actually, you know, I, I watched an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, the Foreigner Belt one. That's a great one. Return of the Moon Knights, I think is what it's called. <laughs> great. Just great show. And also terrible. Really bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we all... I, I think comedy is a driving force for this band. Mm-hmm. We all love comedy. I grew up watching... Stand-up was one of my favorite things to watch. Who do you like for stand-up? Oh, man. You know, that was really a childhood thing for me. I used to watch tons and tons of stand-up. Anyone that would come on Comedy Central. And I also watched the movie um, Office Space. Mike Judge, right? Many, many many times. Because they used to play it on Comedy Central like... Every day. Every day. Yeah. That and uh, Monty Python and the Search. Monty Python Search for the Holy Grail. Yeah. Probably the two mm-hmm. movies I've seen the most in my life. I've seen Holy Grail probably 60 times. He, he kept count for a long time. For a long time. <laughs> I was an incredibly nerdy kid. Yeah. I've seen every single episode of their TV show, The Flying Circus. also like stand-up comedy. Seinfeld. I mean, I oh, love yeah. you got channel Seinfeld. Seinfeld. And like... 
It's always sunny. Do you guys like it's always sunny? Oh, yeah. it's, it's so poetic. It's so <laughs> reflective of the times. My favorite episode is the gang tries to win an award. When, which which one is that? They're <laughs> what are they doing again? They go to a bar that's won awards, and they're trying to figure out why have they won these awards. This place sucks. They got these stupid drinks, and then they have fun. But then they go back, and they try to make their bar into a kind of bar that could win an award. Yeah. You haven't seen this one? I can't, I've seen so fucking many of them, I can't remember everything. <laughs> do, you, do, you yeah. mind, do you mind spoilers? No. Spoil it. Yeah, okay. I've definitely seen it. I was just hot. Spoiler alert. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Uh, oh, <laughs> these guys okay. care a lot about spoilers. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, can, I, can I say this? Yeah, There's right. this one scene where Charlie, in the middle of their um, kind of ceremony where they bring all these people to the award judges and stuff to the bar. <laughs> I feel and like I'm starting to remember this now. Things are slowly going wrong. Like, they're like, that's not good. That's not good. That's <laughs> not good. And things are going downhill. And then they've locked Charlie in the basement because they thought he would cause trouble. And he climbs out of the floorboards <laughs> out of a hatch in the floor and he has paint. We know Charlie loves to have paint. So he was down in the basement <laughs> puffing paint. And he climbs up to his keyboard because they had gotten him to write a song to occupy oh, while they were okay. planning the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, he was writing a song, and so he wrote a really good song, but then they locked him in the basement before the whole thing went off. And now he's crawled back out, and he goes up to his keyboard, and he sings this terrible song, and everyone stops and watches him. And then halfway through the song, he gets to the chorus, and it's just, Go fuck yourself. Okay, I remember this now, yeah. And he's like, ah! <laughs> like and they're like, oh, did you just say that? And they're like, oh shit! And then he spits, and this is one of the best like timed camera comedy editing I've ever seen. Is he spits, and they go, did he just spit? And he spits, they cuts right back to me. Spits again. <laughs> but in the middle of playing the song, and then they all just start spitting at the crowd, and they drive him out. They're like, you know, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. I think, yeah, I think it's important to have that kind of stupidity as an influence when you're writing music, uh, kind of a self-awareness. And that show is so fucking self-aware. It's like yeah. they take the two extremes of society that we're co- to tie it back to what we we're talking about earlier. They take the two extremes. And then they mock both of them. Yeah. And it's like halfway through the character switch sides. It's just whatever convenient <laughs> yeah. for them to believe at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And they they just I just I think it's fucking hysterical. <laughs> my my favorite episode is probably the gang gets held hostage. Have you seen that one? Uh, you'll, you'll have to remind me. What, what it's when the McPoyles take them hostage at the bar. Ooh, I don't know if I've seen that one. I love the McPoyles. I've been watching this all week and just like skipping randomly around different. Seasons. Yeah, you can just go go through. At random times. <laughs> I think there's something about the build-up to a joke and, and the release you get from that and comedic timing. Um, I don't know how conscious it is for everybody, but I, I think about... Um, I think especially in like cartoon violence, there's something about the, the timing and the expectation of that that I think there's like a, a parallel to, to music in that. And uh, I think cartoon violence especially because there's like doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's not like some really serious metal bands who it's like really about, you know, it's death and violence. It's like, that's that's fun, but I think when you're kind of laughing at it a little bit too. That's what Quentin Tarantino does really well. It's like that, he, that's a per, it's, he yeah, marries the, he like marries it with the music exactly. too. Yeah. What, what's your favorite Tarantino movie? Ooh, turn oh man. Um, <laughs> it's always kind of changing. I think, God, I love Pulp Fiction. But that's such an obvious answer. I'm gonna have to go with Django Unchained. 
Django. I fucking love. I Great fucking love Django. I love that ending gunfight. Oh my god, <laughs> it's so crazy. It's so over the top. Like, there's a. He, I've heard him talk about this. He he'll have, in that movie. There are violent moments that are not like they're supposed to be heavy. And yeah. Taken very seriously. Yeah. And he, it's very clear when he's doing that. And when he's doing the uh, the cartoon thing, yeah. where it's just over the top, blood and blood and blood for yeah. total, five minutes, total retribution with a comic <laughs> twist, like yeah. just the payoff. The reason we go to the movie, people. yeah. And uh, oh, when it comes to Steven, he kills Steven. The uh, and spoiler alert. Like, <laughs> yeah, I won't go too far, but it's it's good stuff. Yeah, I think. Um, Inglorious Bastards is probably my favorite. Mm. Well, That's yeah. another good one. There was definitely a shift, I think, in his filmmaking. It was almost like he matured to another level with that movie. Yeah. It, it takes, I think, a lot of what he's interested in to the next level. I, I don't know really how to put it, but I love how it just jumps genres. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think we try to do is jump between genres. Like, it, you feel like it's one film, and then all of a sudden it's an exploitation yeah. film. Yeah. All of a sudden it's this kind of film. And, like, that's something we've been trying to do, and I think we achieved with the last album, was, like, you think it's this kind of album, but wait until this next song, this one's totally different, this one's this kind of song, this one's that kind of song, and it kind of devolves, like, but it stays cohesive. So you like, kind of playing with the, the listener a little bit and changing thing up, things up to where they, yeah. maybe it's something they don't expect. I think, you know, that's, like... Something we try to do is say, let's do this kind of song. Let's do this kind of song to shake things up. Like, there are some things I naturally write, and there are some things I force myself into, like, well, I'm going to start with an idea and try to write something, my version of this yeah. genre. I mean, anything to keep us and the listener interested. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, even if you have really disparate influences, it's all going to come through your own unique filter and turn into something different by the end as you know as Tarantino does like, yeah you, you can see where, where he's coming from but it's never exactly like the source material that it's him by. it's always that's, him that's yeah one thing like if you're interested in a lot of different things I think as any type of artist or, or whatever it's that's what's fun about it you're kind of curating all the things all these disparate things that you're interested in and funneling it into your own output and putting it all together in, in one element and bring it to somebody else. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Well, it's kind of funny because I, I feel like a lot of people these days, as far as listeners go, and maybe you guys could agree, disagree, everybody is so, it's so weird now because everybody has to, when you're making something, you almost have to separate from the fact what it's gonna gonna be on. Like mm -hmm. if you're an artist, because the, what, the main way that music is absorbed now is gonna be through through a cell phone. Yeah. Uh, like I like the personally, I like the sitting down, the ritual of putting like on a vinyl record. Yeah. Because I'm sitting there listening to the music. Certainly an extra level of commitment there. Yeah. Yeah, and like engaging with the music. But I don't think there's anything wrong with engaging with music in a passive way either. Um, hopefully, our music will grab people. It's a bit more jarring than something ambient. Yeah, but um, you know, I I I kind of appreciate the situation we have where you can listen to anything anytime for next to free. I you know I do think that probably affects my ability to make a living on it, but I don't really give a fuck. Like 
I, I do care about making a living eventually, but it's like the democracy. That's a great thing, the freedom the of it. Mm -hmm. No one would hear us at all if it wasn't so readily available. Sure. I mean, we've been getting comments from people in Norway and uh, Brazil. I bet you guys, yeah, I can definitely <laughs> yeah. see how you would have like an international kind of appeal too. Yeah. Um, and that's fascinating to me. But I think the flip side of that is like do people do get more locked into genre expectations in, mm -hmm. in some senses. Like we've experienced this with our video a little bit where people are like, oh, I thought this was going to be more metal. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's not. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is what we do. Yeah. You know, if, if you had expectations that weren't met, I, maybe you should think about opening your mind a little yeah. more. Yeah, like, maybe you um, can get out of your mom's basement and go start a metal band <laughs> and animate. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up with a lot of those kind of guys in Maine. <laughs> to me, I, I love metal. I love the sounds. Um, I especially love thrash metal. I love Slayer. I grew up listening to Metallica as a teenager a lot with Grant. Great Metallica, yeah. We used to play the Halo. Good times, you know. Yeah. Metallica. <laughs> but uh, on the flip side, I... I I find I have to be in a really specific mood to listen to those records, whereas most of the other music I listen to is something that has a bit more breadth to sure. it. Sure. Like, and uh, I don't know. I just think uh, getting locked too much into one genre, that's, that's something that's anathema to yeah. what I'm trying to do. So on a closing note, where can people find you? Where can they find your music? How can they communicate with you if they'd like to? Um, we're on most major streaming services now. Really you can see our videos on YouTube and Vimeo. Or, or Vimeo. Um, we have a website, deadza.org, that we've been uh, keeping pretty updated with posts about what's going on and also... Uh, the dreaded Facebook. We we encourage you to like our Facebook. You can also order uh, physical copies of the music if you're so inclined, and we have some cool T-shirts uh, with artwork from the music videos on them. Anybody that wants to buy a shirt or an album, we'll get a, a free gift or two in the package in the mail. Possibly uh, buttons or stickers. Yeah, if you email us or write us on Facebook, uh, we'll, Madison will get back to you promptly. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, she's good. Madison is our shout out to Maddie. For being our uh, amazing manager, show runner. <laughs> and uh, they're valuable. We would not have gotten this far without her. Yeah. She's she booked our first two tours and the corresponds <laughs> because we're all um, a little bit bad at communication in some ways. We're uh, not fit for society. <laughs> Someone's got to tell you when and where to show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's going on? We're getting better. We're trying. <laughs> cool. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, if there's ever anything I can do to help you out, uh, let me know. Hey, it's yeah. been great talking to you, man. Yeah, thank you.